song coming. Okay. Okay. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians chapter 4. I, I appreciate your patience as we've been working through the letter to the Philippians. Working through. And, and here, here's, here's, the, here's the situation is that I thought I knew the book of Philippians. I thought I really understood the intent of this letter and all that it contained. But what I'm, what I'm finding is that when I really, um, thank you, dear. As I really meditate on what the Lord says, it, um, it grips me what Paul was communicating. Because I remember that Philippi was the place where Paul was thrown in jail for causing a commotion, for casting out a demon of a possessed girl. Um, this is where he was thrown in jail with another and they were singing praises at midnight and the, the jail opened. And they could have run and escaped, but they didn't. They stood there. And they convinced all the other prisoners not to escape either. And because they didn't escape, the, the jailer came to them and said, was going to kill, kill himself. And, they, he, and Paul prevented him and said, look, we're all here. And, and then like the next words out of his mouth were, what must I do to be saved? And he and his whole family were saved that night after Paul went to their home and the jailer brought him to his house and he reasoned with him, explained the scriptures. And I'm reading this message and it's full of joy and it's full of life and it's full of working together. And, uh, and that's what this is about today. There's three R's. Some of you are familiar with American slang. Reading, writing, and arithmetic. Only one of them starts with the letter R. That's what they used to tell for, for little school kids. They were going to learn reading, writing, and arithmetic. Um, of course, only reading starts with the letter R. But the three R's today are rejoice, reason, and request. Did I just well, say? No, I just said not spelling. Oh, spelling. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, they don't. They don't teach spelling. It's it's uh, there's no spelling. That's right. The three R's today. Moving right along here. Rejoice, reason, reason, and request. Rejoice, reason, and request. Say that with me. Rejoice, reason, and request. Rejoice, reason, and request. And we're going to start on verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, this is pure application. Many times a preacher teaches doctrine and people ask for application instead. But when the scripture gives application directly, people think it doesn't apply to them or it's impossible or they're being too legalistic. This is really clear. Rejoice, and the only part of this doctrine is in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. 
people will say, this is impossible. You can't tell me I have to rejoice. Did anybody, when you woke up this morning, say, I'm going to rejoice today? Why not? But this is Paul's exact application. He says, let your joy be in the Lord. Let your lips speak praises always. Let his word resound in you with such life that you make music and sing to one another. Anybody sing to others this morning? Well, we just did in the group setting, but just getting ready. Were you singing to one another because the joy of the Lord was resounding in your heart? Note that it doesn't say regret in the Lord, and again I say regret, or complain in the Lord, and again I say complain, or bicker, or argue, or slander, or criticize. Just rejoice in the Lord. And to make sure we all understand, this word rejoice, what does it mean? It means to feel or to show great joy or great delight. When we rejoice, we give praise, and giving praise to God affects you. And not only does rejoicing impact every part of your life, it also impacts all of the people around you. Now, is this some sort of foreign commandment? Is, does this have any basis for our lives in Christ? Yeah, th- th- because there's a problem. While nearly everyone agrees that rejoicing in the Lord is good, very few take on the responsibility to rejoice always, especially when they don't feel like it. Of course, no one wakes up in the morning and plans on being depressed. They'd probably rather be happy and praise God, but they don't feel like they've got any control over it. Do you have control over your rejoicing? Do you have control over your rejoicing? (coughs) They think that rejoicing is just a natural reaction to what happens every day, and that if everything goes great, they will automatically rejoice. Well, there is some truth to that automatic rejoicing when things are going well. But that's not what Paul is talking about necessarily here. Rejoicing happens in knowing and valuing and belonging to Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling the people there and telling us. Rejoicing happens as our lives are yielded to his perfect and gracious and perfect will. Paul is saying that rejoicing is a choice you make as a right response to knowing and trusting God. Rejoicing is a choice that you make as you trust God. Rejoicing isn't the little caboose that follows along at the end of the train of your life, always the last to arrive. Rejoicing is more like the engine at the front of the train, pulling your life to where God is leading you because you trust God. It's the engine that pulls the rest of you to your final destination. Living the life of rejoicing in the Lord is not only the most enjoyable way to live, It's also a powerful way to change all aspects of your life. So we're talking about rejoicing. Now we're talking about change. We're talking about a lot of different things here. The Lord told his disciples the night before the crucifixion not to let their hearts be troubled. Now he knew what was going to happen. He would gather them all in a room. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
Yet many people today might think that Jesus wasn't being understanding and compassionate to his disciples, that he was being insensitive and unreasonable because these same disciples were about to see Jesus arrested and they would flee in fear of their lives. They would see Jesus unjustly condemned, crucified and buried. And here he was the night before all this was to happen to tell them, let not your hearts be troubled. Does that seem unreasonable to you? Why wouldn't he be convincing them to let their hearts be troubled because he was getting ready to go through such difficulty? That evening, Jesus ended his message to the disciples in John 16, 33. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. As the Bible is apt to do, this is quite an understatement. He said, I have overcome the world. And he said, take heart. Now, how is this possible to take heart? Because he had overcome the world. Now, the night he said this, he had not yet been crucified, nor has he been resurrected, nor had he ascended to heaven to be enthroned at the Father's right hand. But the disciples were instructed to take heart because they could trust everything Jesus said. They could trust everything he said. He had promised them that he would be resurrected and reign forever. So if they believed him, they should rejoice in him, and so should we. We have a basis for our rejoicing that is unshakable, that's never-ending. Certainly we live in a fallen world where the ungodly steadily get more bold and brash in celebrating their sin. We see it all the time. Since so much of what we hear and see is absolutely repulsive, we have to make deliberate, intentional choices to not be trapped in the mindset of the culture in which we live. We have to intentionally choose not to let our minds be entrapped by the things we see happening in the world today. Rejoice in the Lord supplies us with the hope and peace that God has granted to us. Now let me suggest this morning that you can monitor your spiritual pulse. Anybody taking your pulse? Monitor your spiritual, your spiritual pulse by checking your own level of rejoicing. Are you a person who rejoices in the Lord? Always. We think we're doing okay with, are you a person who rejoices in the Lord? Well, yeah. Always. Take your pulse this morning. Are you, are you this person? If we live lives that are not always rejoicing in the Lord, then maybe we are not as spiritually as healthy as Jesus would desire us to be. Some may take offense at that, thinking that I just don't know their situations. But Paul didn't say it just once. He said it twice. He didn't want anyone to be thinking that he had made a mistake or that there were exceptions to what he said. We are always to be rejoicing in the Lord. This is his command. Not a suggestion to do it only if or when we feel like it. <clears throat> I could bring out some personal examples here just among people in the room of rejoicing in the Lord when you don't necessarily feel like it. 
but it's possible. And it's good. Remember that Paul lived what he preached. When he was beaten and thrown into prison in Philippi, he, he and Silas sang praises at midnight. They weren't praising God through gritted teeth, trying to woo God or bargain with God. I'll praise you if you get me out of here. No deals with God. They praised God because they loved him and they worshipped him from a pure heart. When the doors opened, they didn't run away. They stayed. None of the other prisoners left either. Rejoicing brought revival to that prison. Do you know some prisons where they, revival is needed? Be the one who rejoices in that place. Now, flip it around. Think about it. True, unmitigated, unshakable joy is or should be the distinctive mark of those who believe in Jesus Christ. Paul, the preacher of grace, is equally the preacher of great joy. Christian joy does not come and go with one's circumstances. It's founded on the life, work, and grace of Christ, and it's sustained through the depth of your relationship with him. Rejoicing is in the Lord. It is a distinctive outpouring of the precious work of God to prepare a bride for Christ without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. Is there rejoicing in heaven? Yes. Do we pray for the, for the things of heaven to be found on earth in the Lord's Prayer? Yes. Let's pray that rejoicing come to earth in us. Who has the most right to rejoice on the earth? Except those who trust Christ. We should lead the way in rejoicing. To rejoice in Jesus glorifies God. We must accept personal responsibility for this. We are created in his image. We ought to rejoice in his name always. This is no simple wish of Paul with permission granted to ignore it, the statement when difficulties arise. Actually, the word always is crucial to this whole letter. We will never be victors until we quit being victims. Don't be a victim. Get rid of the excuses and obey what the word of God says here. I'm pleading with you. Rejoice in the Lord. Now in what aspect of Christ could you possibly rejoice always? We would be here to eternity listing the reasons. Would it be his love for you? The mercy that he's shown you? His grace poured out for you, his wisdom, his strength, his blessings, his plans, his timing, his commands, his nature, his character, his promises, his provision, any and all of these things. There is no limit, no shortage of reasons to rejoice in Jesus. His presence and blessing overcomes all other situations and trials you'll ever face. He never fails, right, Roel? <coughs> he never fails. And finally, in light of this verse, would it be a reason to not rejoice in Jesus if something in your life was difficult? Would something difficult in your life, would that be a reason not to rejoice in Christ? People who are, people who are at odds with other people find it hard to rejoice. 
Others may be filled with worry or have unmade ex expectations or suffer pain or lack the necessities of life. Maybe they are very anxious about something in particular or everything in general. But there is a verse in Deuteronomy that talks about what it means to, to reject this command to rejoice. About the, about the, the lack of praise or how re regret might affect you in a negative way. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48a. This is, this is a challenging verse. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart. Because of the abundance of all things, therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you in hunger and thirst or nakedness and lacking everything. The Lord is putting it out on the line there. Because you did not serve me with joyfulness and gladness of heart, therefore you will serve your enemies. That's the choice that you make. Am I going to rejoice in the Lord always? And when, I, when I'm looking at this letter and reading it, I'm thinking about these verses and what does this really, I don't want to let rejoice in the Lord always just be a little forward thing that slips off my mind and I'm done with it. I want to let it change who I am. Simply put, this is an area of our lives that we must get right. Ask God by his grace to destroy your doubt, crush your cynicism, and get your eyes on the Lord to rejoice in him. Verse 5a, the second R. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. It's reasonableness in the ESV. Paul says to rejoice and now to be reasonable. Rejoice, be reasonable. Let your reasonableness be known to all people. What in the world does that mean? Your reasonableness. Someone who is not unreasonable. Someone who has sound thinking, sound opinions. Someone is not inconsiderate. It's hard to interpret. Other translations mention a gentle spirit, a forbearance, a meekness, or immoderation. But all of these words convey an, um, an accommodating view of relating to others. It's a, it gives clear direction to our rejoicing, doesn't it? Our rejoicing is not to be frantic without reason. Our rejoicing is not to be without self-control, but our rejoicing is based on reason. Right? People can get drunk and rejoice. That's not reason. We're talking about rejoicing based on reason because we see what Jesus has done. He, another way to look at this is the you could say, you be the reason, the voice of reason in every situation. You know, let Julie be the voice of reason in every conversation she's a part of. Be the voice of reason. This verse describes a person who does not seek to retaliate, who is willing to give and, and take rather than always standing rigidly on their own rights. This person is courteous extending to others the same kindly consideration he would wish to receive himself. 
We know from other texts in Philippians that Paul is not talking about compromising our beliefs in God or Scripture. Neither does he suggest that we submit to or approve the world's standards of conduct. But he's telling us not to be so inflexible that people can never engage with us, can never have relationship with us. Now, what is the basis for this type of reasonableness? Think about it this way. Reasonableness is the willingness to listen to another person's reasons for their opinion while also offering the reasons for your own. For instance, if I put forward my opinion without giving any reason for it, except that it's not an opinion, then I would not be acting in a reasonable manner, but would be acting like a dictator because I would be appealing to nothing outside of myself. But to find unreasonable in ourselves is hard. I, I don't know when I'm not being reasonable. I need a friend or a wife to help me. I need someone to help me find out when I'm not being reasonable. It's difficult to see yourself in this way. Yeah, you, 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 you have been. That's why I'm turning out the way I am, Greg. It's because of your help. Um, you made me lose my place. Yeah, we're jumping on it. The chief way to find reasonableness is to realize that the basis of this attitude is that we humbly conform to God's ways. We conform to God's ways and that he does not conform to us. That's reason. We conform to God. He does not conform to us. That's pure, good reasoning. Right? Remember that. We know that children should learn their manners from their parents and not the parents from the children. We learn that soldiers learn their strategy from the general, not the general from the soldiers. Likewise, it's plain that creatures made in God's image should conform their lives to the will of the creator. Reasonableness is based on conforming to the will of God for us as revealed in scripture. So it's reasonable to rejoice in the Lord always because rejoice in the Lord always is revealed to us in Scripture. That's reason. But few people actually, actually pursue reasonableness. The majority seem to live with the little desire of conforming their thoughts and actions to the will and character of our holy God. I mean, do you know a lot of people who really want to conform their will and their actions to a holy God's will for them? When they think of God, they either imagine him in their own image to suit their own wants, or they blame him for all their hardships. But God is who he says he is, and we are to conform to him and not him to us. So, for what purpose do you want to be known? Is it your appearance, your beauty, your personality, your, will, your wealth, your wit, your wisdom, your heritage, your work ethic? Perhaps we should seek something less sensational than these, but far more spiritual. Reasonableness. I want to be known as a reasonable person. <clears throat> Do not keep this sweet reasonableness a secret in your heart. Expressing it, express it to others so they will experience its blessing. Why? Because it's God's will. Because it's the opposite of always demanding your own rights, your own entitlement, 
It's a patient willingness to yield where yielding does not compromise moral principle. And Paul gives a further assurance for this in the B part of this verse. Let your reasonableness known to all for the Lord is at hand. For the Lord is at hand. These five words, the Lord is at hand, connect what was just said, always rejoice in the Lord and be reasonable to what is immediately going to follow. Do not be anxious because he is near. As David says in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. Now, what would it mean for the Lord to be near? Does that bring comfort or fear? Does that bring help? The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. He's close. He's aware of your situation. He's concerned about you. He's available. He's able. He's willing to come and assist you. He's working in you right now to complete all of his good pleasure in you. He is never a passive bystander. So being reasonable with other people, especially with those who may irritate and exasperate you, may seem to be out beyond our reach. Or when rejoicing in the Lord seems to be out of our reach, always remember that the Lord is at hand. He's here. Now, isn't it true that the presence of another when we are in a frightful situation can lessen our fear? You walk down a dark place late at night by yourself versus with someone else. Everybody would rather walk with someone else. They're near. They lessen our fear. If we are comforted by the presence of a mere human who might be less strong and brave than ourselves, how much more will we be comforted by the sworn presence of a reigning Christ? The Lord is near to those who call on him. So two R's already. Rejoice and reasonableness. Reasonableness. Verses six and seven. We're gonna make a lot of we're gonna make a leap here. Two verses at one shot. And I could I'm just gonna do this briefly. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We, we, we need to memorize this verse. We need to memorize this. What are we to be anxious about? Yeah, I read this one thing. It says, you know what the, the Greek word for nothing means? You look it up in the Greek for nothing. You know what it means? It means no thing. <laughs> it's clear. <laughs> it's really, it's really good. It, it means nothing. Or the way it says it, do not be anxious about anything. And yet we've probably been anxious about something in the last 24 hours. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is not saying that there's no reasons to worry. In fact, you can almost think that he's implying that you, you do have reasons to worry. That's why he has to say, do not be anxious about anything. If there were no basis to worry for anyone, then while nobody ever would, he wouldn't have to make that command. So, but he is saying that the Lord is near, that since the Lord is near, all believers are to take their worry to God through prayer, thankful prayer. The result, we are not to be anxious, but have the blessed peace of God. So this, you can look at two things. First, it's stated negatively, do not be anxious about anything. Then positively, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul promises that a life of faithful, Christ-dependent, Christ-exalting prayer will be a life protected from anxiety and its many sinful results by God's peace. How many of you would like to have victory over anxiety and worry? Is that all? Just half of you? The rest of you have victory? Yeah. Yeah. How many would like to have the steady enjoyment of God's peace? Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. I'd really like to have that. You know, you could try to lay this out and, and make it in some sort of fancy teaching, but it's just as clear as a bell when you read it. What are you supposed to do? In this particular, this particular command, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the, there's an underlying foundation of all this that says, God, I trust you to know and to do what is best for me. With best, from God's perspective, what is best? Is it best for me to leave China and move to the United States and leave my child for six months and then have them come and join me? Is that best? for? I mean, any situation. Is it best for me to leave Peru and move to the United States and get married to this woman? I mean, think about it. We have, we have opportunity to be anxious about everything all the time, every day. And here Paul is presenting something that seems so foreign, and yet many of us are, are familiar with this, and so we kind of, yeah, I understand that. This is where we're going. This is the life he wants us to live. Paul promises that this life will be protected from anxiety. If you want victory, then here is the prescription. Don't miss the words in everything. Pray about everything. Stay in the mindset of prayer all day long. Do not pray just during crisis situations. You can pray then for sure, but pray about everything. 
1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it to glorify God. Pray in such a way that that's true, that whether you're eating or not eating or drinking or not drinking or working or not working, that you're glorifying God. Or this prayer is another prayer. Hallowed be your name, Lord Jesus. May you be worshipped and seen as holy on the earth through me. Can this really be done? Well, I'll give you a helpful hint for this to be a reality in your life. Keep a correct and a high and a worshipful view of Christ always. Keep a high view of Christ. Remembering that nothing is outside of his control or too difficult for him to handle. Right, Tia? Nothing is too difficult for him. A low view of Jesus, a low view of God, leads to spiritual instability. A death spiral towards anxiety and worry that promotes evil everywhere about us. Do not allow the words, the world's anxieties and cares of this world to diminish your trust in Christ. He uses three words. Prayer, which is a broad word of spiritual devotion and communication with the Lord. Supplication, a very pointed word that focuses on asking for help. And thanksgiving, that humble, appreciative, grateful aroma of prayer. Praying with thanksgiving means that we will trust to be content and thankful with what God wisely and lovingly gives us because we know that he will hear and wisely and lovingly give us what's best. You know, a lot of times we, we think that we're praying, but really we're, we're, we're not content. Uh, maybe we're jealous or maybe we're envious or maybe we want what somebody else has. And we're not content with what the Lord has for us. Listen, is it, is it not marvelous to hear Jesus say something like this regarding prayer? Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Why is that verse in the Bible? Why did, why did Matthew record Jesus saying that? Why did Jesus say that? Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Was that verse in the Bible added so that we would be disappointed in prayer? Or that we wouldn't, we wouldn't have faith to pray? Why would he have that verse written in Scripture for us? Isn't it breathtaking? Or take your breath away to hear our brother James write, you do not have because you do not ask. It takes my breath away. You do not have because you do not ask. Or to put it positively, if you had asked, God would have been God would have active to meet your needs. This is astonishing. You know, these verses point to a God who acts in response to prayer. Think about it: the all-knowing, all-foreseeing, the all-planning and all-governing God of heaven and earth wills 
for your Christ-exalting prayers of faith to be the prompt of his action. It's not that we change God's mind. It's that we change our mind to seek the Lord and to trust him for what's best. Our prayers are the prompt of his action. Not that he changes mind, but that he uses the fact that we are now ready to pray for him to act in a way that he has already foreseen. When we pray to God, when we confess every matter to him for his help, with a heart thankful for everything he designs for us, whether it be pleasures or pains, then his peace will guard our minds and free us from anxiety in a way that defies natural explanation. His peace surpasses human understanding. So it says, if it surpasses human understanding, that means you can't fully understand it because it passes your ability to understand. That's the type of peace he's talking about here. Now, prayer itself demonstrates to the world, stay with me here, prayer demonstrates to the world that we exist to do the very things that we cannot do without God's special help. He calls us to pray to demonstrate to the world that we are unable to do what he wills us to do unless he intervenes with supernatural grace. This is thrilling. Prayer is thrilling. Because God planned and promised that he would do these things in answer to prayer. So our prayers proclaim that the special supernatural work of God is essential in our lives to carry away our anxiety and to see his kingdom come. Prayers proclaim that God's special supernatural work is essential in our lives for his will to be accomplished in our lives. If we didn't need God's grace to accomplish his will, there would be no reason to pray. But since we do need God's supernatural grace in our lives to accomplish his will, and he calls our prayers to prompt his action, then he can say, well, you have not because you ask not. And he can say, ask and it shall be open to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. You see how these things come together? Our prayers show that we are the weak vessel and he is the strong one. And that we need him. It also means that we exist for this reason and this purpose. One of the reasons that we exist is that we might pray to God with thanksgiving and see his will accomplished. May the Lord make us all experience the joy and wonder and power and privilege and the peace of prayer. Prayer doesn't start with an R, but the second letter is R. <laughs> so I use request instead. Rejoice, reason, request. Rejoice, reason, request. Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice, reason, request. Now the lives of those who do not believe God, who do not trust God, who do not pray to God, 
are marked by fear. Don't fall into this trap. Follow Paul's commands to escape fear and anxiety. As we acknowledge our dependence and express our complete trust in him, our rejoicing and prayer are linked. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. This is the way of God. You don't have to climb any mountains, I'm telling you. Prayer with supplication with thanksgiving. The ways of God. These are the ways of God. This is what reasonable people do. Who can see eternity. I mean, who can see Christ. This is what reasonable people do who see Christ. They rejoice in the Lord. They let their reasonableness be shown to other people because they're trusting God. They're not anxious for things because they've prayed and they've asked God for specific needs with thanksgiving that God knows what's best. And they have his peace. This is what reasonable people do. They are reasonable because the Lord is near. They are not anxious because they take their concerns to, to God. Now, this is not a formula. It's all about knowing and trusting Jesus Christ and believing his promises. It's not a formula. Well, Bill said if I just follow this formula, I'd have peace. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. I am saying it's about knowing and trusting Jesus Christ and believing his promises. Now, I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it again. What we read in Scripture about the ways we should live and to be pleasing to the Lord, it's not just something that's far off in the future. It's not a travel brochure or a vacation brochure telling you about all the sights and things you will see once you're on vacation. You'll see this waterfall. You'll see this dramatic building or something. You'll see something over there in the future. That's not what he's talking about here. Well, it, it sort of is, but it's not exactly. It's not just a travel brochure describing some far off place where we will never go. He is describing and revealing the will and practices found in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, there is rejoicing, there is reasonableness, there is prayer. And thank you with thanksgiving. There is peace. That's, that's the aspects of the kingdom. When we pray, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, one of the things we're praying by that is let all of those attributes of life in heaven be found now on earth. For the very same reason, by the way, because Christ is Lord. And we're under his government now. We don't have to wait to be under his government then. We're under his government now. The work of the Lord is going to accomplish these things, these very things. This is what it means to be without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. A person with a lot of worry has a, has a lot of wrinkles. A person who has a lot of regret has a lot of spots and blemishes. A person that's not reasonable, reasonable has blemishes that need to be removed. This is part and parcel of us growing in Christ. So don't just think this is something for the future. This is for <coughs> today. For, it's for now. It's for experiencing as we have lunch together. It's for now. Don't resist him. 
Open your eyes to see it. Humble your heart to pursue it. Yield your thoughts and your ways to what he deems best and rejoice. Be reasonable and do not be anxious for anything because you've made your request known to God. This is Philippians. This is what the letter, this is where the letter takes us. Let's pray. You ask the Lord to give you a quick spiritual checkup about rejoicing in him. And don't forget the word always. Holy Spirit, we ask you to do your work among us and to Help us to focus not on anything other than in, but in the Lord. In the Lord. Yes, in the Lord, I have peace and strength. In the Lord, I have a future. In the Lord, I have fulfillment and completion. I have no worry, no fear in the Lord. Yes, in the Lord, I can be reasonable to all people. Because I trust him, and I trust that he knows what's best. Because he is near. He sees me. He knows me. He's not oblivious to my situation. He, he knows everything about me, and still he loves me. Holy Spirit, come and show us our anxious thoughts. And Lord, if we don't have any anxious thoughts, I know we know people who do. Help us to take every anxious thought to you in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving to make these requests known to you. And Father, we, we, we just stand in admiration that you would use these Christ-exalting prayers as the prompt of your action to deliver to us what is best and give us peace. Now, just to take this one step further, I ask, would you, would you find someone to pray with? Just go ahead, lean over, and begin to pray for that person, one, for, one first one and then the other, about these three things, about rejoicing, about being reasonable, and about taking our request to God. Pray that we would believe it. Pray that we would receive it for ourselves.